contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Live on Four Legs Pod. As you see, every show on this tour has been different. Uh, this one's certainly different. You probably heard Matt Cameron. We lost him. He's uh, making strides to get back to the stage and feel better. He got he tested positive, and, and uh, it took him down hard. Um, so we've had to rally some troops and uh, use everybody's talents to the best of their abilities. Who knew that Josh Klinghoffer was such a fantastic drummer? We, we've got a uh, we've, we've got another surprise for you coming up here soon. And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience, featuring Mr. Stone Gossip. Fucking camera in the truck. everybody now welcome to live on four legs the definitive live pearl jam podcast and as for covering shows on this podcast as we do every single week week in week out these are the last three episodes of the year right here and we made a big promise that we really wanted to kind of flash back and and do some memories on the 2022 shows and that's what we're going to do for the next couple weeks and we're very excited about it because it's it's new music it's new stories and it kind of gives us an opportunity to take a grander look at what happened this year and put the puzzle pieces together because there's there is a good story coming out of nearly every good show that happened this year and i will say that it wasn't our decision we loved all the decisions that were made for all the show picks but it was your decision if you were on facebook or patreon and for the west coast tour portion of the little 2022 rewind our show today is going to be fresno california you probably know what happens there's a lot to discuss to get there randy sobel over here john Farrar over there hello hello we made it made it to december getting to do some of these more recent shows these are definitely like fresh in the memory i didn't have to go back and dig in too much because i remember this happening 
Yeah, of course. And, I, you know, I think for this show, I actually did need to dig a little bit further because when it was happening live, that was one I was completely out because I was leaving for Sacramento oh, the next right. day. Yeah. So I had no prior knowledge as to what really happened. I knew the cruise and stuff. I knew a couple things here and there, but I didn't really get to listen to the show. So I listened to it about a month or two ago. And I think anytime I, I get on the first listen, I try not to like use my, you know, podcast researcher brain here. I just kind of listen to it to enjoy. And I enjoyed it very much. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, now we have kind of the story that we can kind of piece together from here. So why don't we start there? And it all kind of has to start really with what happened in Oakland. So, you know, reiterating this stuff for history's sake, I know everybody that is listening to it in 2022, they know the story, but hell, if this thing is still around in 2027, 2028, and new people that subscribe to the show need to learn about it, then we're just going to explain things right from the jump and not have to worry about making it feel obvious. So here, here we go. Oakland, night one and night two on May 12th and 13th. To open the show, you kind of see that the Yamaha drum set's not there. And you're like, uh-oh, what's going on? This is a little peculiar. And then, yes, they come out, they do Rockin' in the Free World, but that's Josh Klinghoffer behind the set. It's Josh Klinghoffer, it is Richard Stuverud, and then a couple of fill-in players. We had Josh Arroyo, and we also had Kai Newkerman's fill-in on drums for Matt, who was stricken with COVID and had to stay in Phoenix. So those two shows... They go along as smooth as they can. Not perfect, but very, very good shows. And then we get to the Monday following those, which happens to be in Fresno, California. This is kind of the thing where I think Oakland, you're like, okay, like let's ride off the scene of our pants. And then Fresno, you're kind of unsure. Well, is Matt still sick? What's going on? What's the story there? And you'd have to assume probably. He's probably still going to be out because you usually need at least a week before it's completely out of your system. I think there were rumors swirling around the internet, as there always are, that at Soundcheck they had played six songs from ten. And I think that kind of got a lot of people thinking, okay, well, what else could they be doing? It has to be cruising. They have a good relationship with cruising. They brought him up for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He hasn't been with the band in a very, very long time. It would make for a very special moment. So that kind of got people thinking right away. And then, you know, once Josh comes out on stage, he said it like a billion times, like, oh, you're in for something really special tonight. So all of the caps were kind of tipped as to what would happen. And even if you really didn't pick up on it, you kind of knew that you were in for something really, really good on this. And that just leads into everything that Cruzen did for the show, which is going to be just fun to talk about. Yeah. There's something special about Cruzen being the original drummer that a lot of people, I think in this community, they appreciate, but still don't quite understand because he just, when 10 was popular, he wasn't there. You know, it's like, okay, we got to hear him on the record, but we don't know who he is. So I think that's a lot of what we're going to get into when we get into the songs. But I I have to bring up a couple of things. So 
the last time that he was involved with a live show with Pearl Jam that wasn't the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was back May 25th, 1991. And that was actually the singles rap party. And I think the story goes that he had an argument with somebody and it got a little testy. I don't know the specific details for that, but it all kind of ended up with him having to deal with the substance abuse problem. So he and the band made a mutual decision that he go get this fixed and you know they were they were going to support him as a human being. And then he got past that point in his life and moved on. He played in Candlebox, he played in a couple other bands. And I think that there's a lot of questions as to the what ifs on this and we'll get to that in just a second, but you know, what if cruising stuck with this what if cruising got to relish in the limelight that pearl jam had in 1992 would it have been different dave a was such a big personality that you know a lot of who pearl jam was if it wasn't ed it it was dave a so you usually don't get that one of the biggest rock bands had a personnel change before the album even came out and then never really gets shown at all. We only have, out of bootlegs in 1991, I think we only had three performances of him, and I think they're all when they were Mookie Blaylock, so really, really rare. Well, the thing is, too, like with new bands, it's really common to kind of change members. And like I think Dave Grohl mentions this in the Foo Fighters documentaries, is like every band does this, but Pearl Jam was just so famous from the jump that like it became a big deal and everybody knew but in bands like you you see this all the time with new bands that start up like someone comes in doesn't work out by the time you know if they pay their dues and work hard by the time they get known you kind of know who those people are but yeah it's it's a unique situation and that they were kind of thrust into the spotlight very early on so that we kind of knew who these people were before we even really like knew anything about them there's a lot of good questions as to what if Cruzen were on versus Vitalogy and, and forward. I did pose the question of the week here, and I think it's a good one. We didn't get a lot of answers, but we got a lot of good answers. So if you can pick one or two songs outside of the 10 era that you'd think Dave Cruzen would excel on, what would they be? Before I get into everybody else's answers here, I want to know your answer first, and I'll share one of mine. So what'd you think? Yeah, I immediately went to the later stuff like something off a of backspacer or something off a of lightning bolt i saw someone had a response that was the song lightning bolt and i think that was something that jumped out to me too i think that's going to be my answer as well i'm going to piggyback off of that because i think those, those two records more fit kind of what his wheelhouse is so are you saying he was more of a pop rock kind of guy and yeah, more kind of kind like beat? yeah because see i i think that i think that he can do that and i think that that is something that he'll stand out on, but I also think that he would have been great on the following two records. And, you know, somebody really brought up yield and we'll talk about them in a sec. I think that in hiding would have been a perfect song for him. I really do. Mm -hmm. Like in this show, he excels on the moments where he's gradually able to build up. He's gradually able to build up into that moment and make it feel big at the biggest moment. And almost like you're not paying attention to him at all until you get to the climactic moment of the song. And even then, you know, in some instances, he's just like, I'm just there. 
I'm going to give it to everybody else to take the spotlight and I don't need it. And I think that that's a pretty impressive thing because out of the three other drummers, they do take spotlight. You do turn your head when you listen to them. And, you know, sometimes it's kind of like Ringo in a way. You're not noticing the drums at first, but then like one little fill that just completes the piece just all makes it work yeah. out. Well, I think it's it's because Ringo is very sneakily technical and very inventive in ways that that not many drummers have but a lot of it gets overshadowed because of what was in front of him and i think the similarities there because it could have worked the same way in pearl jam because you have generational talent at guitar bass rhythm guitar vocals so the guy behind the drums doesn't need to be the superstar like he just needs to be solid and like hold it down and do the thing Dave Cruzan could have easily done that, but Eddie has said they've been very lucky in that Dave A was a very talented drummer, very technical drummer, and Matt Cameron is a superstar, and he can hold his own with those other generational talents, and they make this kind of five-headed monster that is one of the greatest American rock bands of all time. But yeah, I think Dave K, he didn't need to take the spotlight on the songs because I think he was fine, like sitting back and you can you can tell a little bit of that here i mean obviously this is a unique situation he didn't have a lot of time to practice it's interesting if they had had a couple more shows what would have happened but he seems very content to just keep it simple let the guys have their parts and i'm just gonna sit here and and do my thing yeah i can see all that i think there's so much to talk about once we get into his performances that i'm gonna leave it for that and then get into all your guys answers right now from evan hathaway on facebook he's thinking rats instantly comes to mind and i agree i think that kind of the jazzy rhythm to it like i think i think that goes hand in hand with jeff and i think he would have had a really nice balance there with him and yeah i think patrick kind of brought that up as well there is some overlap in verses with him and dave a where they both could have worked really well on the same songs and yeah i think rats is right in the wheelhouse absolutely let's go to kimmy byram this was an interesting one she says Although I lean very heavily into the Irons bias, I've always felt that Cruzen could have slid very comfortably into Yield. Yes, it would be a different vibe, and I wouldn't change it, but he's always had the chops, he's a unique player, less tribal, and as you mentioned, more jazzy. I like his ability to improvise. Yeah, I think that there are songs in Yield which he can excel. A lot of people, when kind of being posed the same question about Yield, they said, like, no way, and they said faithful. They said MFC. I'm I'm even thinking giving a fly here because I think the same thing. Like I, what I really loved out of the show is just getting to those builds and and when Matt gets to the builds, it's like you hear Matt, you feel Matt, you like you know he's there. You said he was a superstar, obviously. And with Dave, it's just all right. Well, the song is building. The song is building, but you don't have to worry about what's he doing because the rest of the song it's elevated by him but highlighted by what Mike and Ed are doing. And Yield is also very anthemic, and it has a lot of those songs that kind of soar and do the things that the songs on 10 did, that No Code and a lot of verses in Vitalogy weren't. So I can see that being one that is more like a 10 record, and that's what we're familiar with him on. So I can see that being a good call, yeah. Mark Kirby had five. 
He says, save you, the fixer, lightning bolt, which you had just mentioned, no way, and break or fall. That's an interesting mix, and that, those are all, aside from No Way, those are all 2000 songs. And, and one like of them is a Matt Cameron song, so that would have been. It is weird. I guess kind of in the same way that you were saying, like Fixer, Lightning Bolt, sort of the poppy vibe and kind of keeping yeah. rhythm for a poppier vibe. Ryan said Present Tense and Life Wasted. What do you feel about that? Present Tense, I, I, I can't, can't get on board with that. Life Wasted, sure, being Avocado Records. Similar to those other ones too that we talked about. Yeah. And Anthemic Arena Rock song. Yeah. How about Immortality? This is from Vanessa. How about Immortality? Mm, you'd have to convince me. I know it's so tough because of what Jack did with it and mastered. And obviously Matt has mastered it too now in his own little way as well. We just don't have the sample size to know like what he would have turned into and what he could do with this stuff. Right. Jared mentions Dissident, another versus one, okay. uh, Marker in the Sand, Dance of Clairvoyance. Dance of Clairvoyance is, is weird. I don't know how to take that mm. one because it's just like, yeah, it's almost like even Matt couldn't really do the song Justice Live. Like, it, it wasn't a drum machine, you know? It, it doesn't put a damper on the song at all. It's just, it's very hard to replicate. Yeah. Let's get into like one or two more. I know we had a good one or two from Twitter. How about Light Years? Maybe. It's got kind of, so it's another one of those kind of mid tempo, has a little soaring part to it. Yeah, I could see that. What do you think about Insignificance? That's a really tough one because that is Ooh. very Cameron involved yeah. and it's very yeah. much of a drive. Does this doesn't seem like a Cruisin wheelhouse song, but you know, be different people here different ways. This may be one of the top answers for, for this. How about Can't Keep? Okay. That could work. I, I like that little shuffle in the beginning. I think that's yeah. kind of up his alley. Something like Of the Girl, too, maybe. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll throw this one out there because it's from Luke, but what do you think of In My Tree? I, I, I say absolutely not. Yeah, no. That's a Jack thing through and through. Yep. Agreed. All right. Great answers, everybody. That was yeah. fun. I want to take one minute before we get into the set to address something that I think anybody that is listening to the show is probably thinking first thing when they see our episode art, this poster is one of the worst posters of all time. <laughs> I yeah, it agree. Doesn't, it doesn't I hate this really one for me. It's just like, <laughs> I think sometimes they try too hard to tie it into what the local area is like. And I guess, when this came out, people were saying, oh, you know, Fresno is known for horse breeding or horse racing or something. And yeah. it's like, sure. But, yeah, it doesn't do anything for me. Yeah, it just it felt, I don't know, like the apples on the side. It felt a little too just corny and, and sort of like 1950s-ish. I don't know. Yeah, it, it look, you know, they, they approve everything that goes out there. So apparently they liked it, but... The people spoke and they said, absolutely not. The horse is big thumbs down. So got that out of the way for everybody that wanted to hear, oh, this is the worst poster ever. You got that. So now we can go into the show. Josh Klinghoffer is behind the kit for this to start this out. And he's going to be on the first seven. And we're going to open with Small Town. One, two, three, four, two. I seem to recognize your face. Wanting 
familiar yet I can't seem to place it Can I find the candle of thought To light your name Yeah, lifetimes are catching on with me Changes taking place I wish I'd seen the place But no one's ever taken me Alright, so let's address this right now Ed is clearly struggling here And the story is going to happen after giving a fly But he's dealing with some food poisoning Some stomach issues here and his voice is just not keeping up with the first bunch of songs. He needs some time to, I guess, just warm up and get into it. But from small town through about like a little before daughter, I guess there there are points where he really struggles, and he, you know, he gives things to the crowd, but he's trying too hard to sort of share those moments with the crowd too. So there's one moment. It feels a little awkward before he gets the hello line, but he gets such a great response and he kind of is like, all right, I can take a step back. But then, and then the part at the end where he really goes high on the away, like, I don't know if he was trying to attempt that or not. It was broken up, but those are tough moments. Those are tough moments that, and anything that they're going to play here is going to be a tough moment for him on a really tough night. So, it's a little challenging to listen to, I won't lie, but that's the show we were given. And I, I noticed that too, that there are some parts that felt like he should have given more to the crowd, but he has that thing in his brain that's like, I can do this. I've been doing this for 30 years. This is what I do. I can do it. And he really should have let them do more. He probably even still did too much. And we're going to talk about it more as the show goes on. There's a couple early that you mentioned that are really rough. I thought, dude, the evolution was ooh, bad. But, I mean, this show's about survival. You know, the show's held together with duct tape and band-aids. You know, he mentions, you know, absolutely could not cancel. So you're kind of getting what you get. And, like, in the crowd, like, if I had been there, yes, I would have been pumping them up. Like, yeah, dude, give it to us. We'll sing every every note. You know, go take a seat. We got this. It just comes off on the bootleg as you can dissect a little more. You can kind of go note for note and hear things. And yeah, he is struggling. I thought giving the fly was definitely, you know, a really big struggle point for him, too, because yeah. there's so many moments where he has to go high. And it's almost like he has to think for a second, like, okay, I know I can't do it, but then if I go low, then I'm off an octave or something like that. Yeah. It was really tough. And I think that on Josh's side, too, Given a Fly was a little tough because you know that he knows the songs, but he's still trying to, especially for this particular situation, he's trying to adapt in order to help Ed. So he's going a little bit slower on a song where Pearl Jam usually kind of plays at a little faster tempo than on the record, and it didn't quite balance out. Yeah, he's not hitting those same moments that Cameron does and like it's very noticeable even even from the very beginning the thing that Matt does at the beginning of Small Town is obviously not there and you're like oh well this is different 
Josh just doesn't know the trademark kind of Cameron things that we've come to like take for granted almost. But yeah, you could tell like he's definitely trying to keep it simple and trying, you know, not to do too much. And again, I think we watched this on a live stream part of it, but we don't have full video of, of everything. It would be interesting to get a camera on Josh early on and watch what he was doing and who he was watching and how kind of confident he was. But it's held together with string at this point. All right. So now we're going to get the story as to why Ed is how he is on this night. And he's being pretty vulnerable here. And he's also very confident. He's very confident in his voice. And he says, I've been singing really, really good this tour. And I'm not sure exactly what happened yesterday on the off day. But I woke up this morning and it got worse. I have the worst kind of stomach food poisoning. I've never been on stage feeling this shitty. The only other time was, of course, San Francisco, where I wasn't even able to take the stage, and Neil Young took over. Ever since then, I always said that we're not canceling. It's been 25 months, but you sing from your guts, and they're hurting right now. Forgive me. I'm going to try my best. I'll take your help. It's better than the alternative. But we have five, six incredible musicians up here, so I know they'll step it up. You'll step it up. I know we'll wake up in the morning and feel alive. And Evolution being the next song. So, okay, you you know, like, it's going to happen every now and again. There's usually one or two shows on the tour where Ed's sick. And it's from vocal wear and tear. And that's just ha- going to happen this late in the career, or he does get, you know, traveling a lot. You know, if you're susceptible to colds, then it's just going to happen to you. But he's never had a cold let him cancel a show. And I think that kind of falls under this category, too. So Ed is kind of working a Michael Jordan flu game here situation in a way yeah i mean he kind of is he kind of is they probably should have postponed this though like they probably would have been freaking out if they did everybody would have freaked out if they did but then like maybe jeff doesn't get covid then you know uh, who knows yeah that's just you know what we got here is is important enough, and yeah. yeah, just just leave the moment with Dave cruising. All right, yeah, evolution is next. It's played slower, back to its groove, back to the roots. That kind of made it a surf rock song. Stone solo is very effect heavy, which I think was sort of the the game plan very early in 1998 as well. But you know, it's all about Ed making it through, and they just do what they got to do. He does. He does change the lyrics to "I'm the first man to try to play like this," so you know he's he's hurting. Yeah, yeah. But right after Evolution, he's gonna do the one thing he shouldn't be doing, and that's speaking again. And he says, as you see on every show on this tour, that's been different. This one is certainly different. Cameron, we lost him, but he's making strides to come back to the stage. But COVID took him down hard. We had to rally some troops and use everyone's talents to the best of their abilities. But who knew that Josh Klinghoffer was a fabulous drummer? We've got another surprise for you coming up soon. The other night it was a woman's 100th show. Tonight it's Rob Bleedstein from Pearl Jam Radio. That's his 300th show. Very impressive. I've only been to just a few more than that. And do I call you Fresnonians, Fresnoites, Friends in Fresno? And then after the little Friends in Fresno thing, he starts kind of strumming and singing. And he expresses his love for Lenore here. 
And I'm going to guess that it's probably due to surfing. Because he says, I have friends of Lenore. And later in the show, he'll express how much he truly loves Lenore. Which I honestly didn't look up on the map. So I don't really know in comparison where it is next to Fresno, I suppose. All right. Corduroy, Wishlist, and Daughter. Uh, What do you got here? Corduroy was not bad. It felt like Josh was kind of getting some confidence here in these these three. I mean, they're going straight, fan-friendly, some of the more popular songs. We're going to get a deep cut, but I'm sure this was like, okay, Josh, what do you know, and what can we do that's that's easy for you? So it felt like he was, he was getting confidence, and it was getting a little better. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I thought that the bridge was really good. I think that, especially at the tail end of that, where he kind of went and did that Hail Mary surge that that Cameron does right at the end. I thought that that was very impressive. I think because you get so used to, it's kind of like comfort food, especially with Corduroy, a song that you just hear and love every single time it's played. But it's very, very cymbal heavy in the verses. And that kind of threw me off just a little bit, but everybody's going to do it different. And you got to do it how you feel comfortable. I, I fully understand that. You know, I I thought about this in Daughter a little bit, that it takes a smart crowd to really, truly have your back on some songs. And I thought the crowd did a nice job on Daughter, especially when they got to the rise above it, because sometimes you just need to take it upon yourself. This was a show where that crowd needed to be on every single big sing-along line. And I thought that they had hit that with Daughter. It was starting to get a little bit loose. I don't think it really would come until we get into the cruise and stuff, but not bad stuff here. I thought even Wishlist had like just a, it was a little sloppy, but even the beginning felt like they kind of extended the instrumental part, which had a little, little bit of a bite to it, which was interesting. But yeah, it's just a nice little three songs in the set, stuff that your crowd is going to enjoy. And I'm sure they put it all here because these are songs that Josh can probably figure out in his sleep. Here's the question. Is, is Ed trying to convince himself that it's okay when he keeps repeating that? Probably. The probably. Is he is he speaking to himself there? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Yeah, and, and not even just because of himself, but because, you know, this could go back to what happened in Oakland where during even flow he starts, like, raging and he starts getting really mad and and he kind of has to hold himself back and i wonder if that kind of mentality is still with him in this like you lose a guy that has been your rock for the last 24 years and it's gonna feel different it's gonna hurt a little bit so i wonder if that's still an adjustment for him at this point but yeah he says it's okay but it's not the crowd celebration they, they didn't do a version of it's okay for real during this whole tour year so that's an unfortunate miss but that's sort of what happened with this ed asking everybody in the front does anyone have some cups this is one of those rare nights i won't be drinking but i don't want it to go to waste here's to all people waiting in line very early my friend stone gossard is doing me the honor and a favor he's gonna sing the next one and stone just not even have to talk about himself. He's just like, give it up for Ed. He's doing a great job out here. Thank you so much. It's tough sometimes, and this is one of those days. We played this backstage, so who knows? Maybe it'll be all right. Just don't give me no lip.
yeah, who knows? 38 shows since it was last played, Wrigley of 2016. This is downtuned for Stone. And, you know, of course, everybody's vocal chords are going to take a hit later in life. And Stone doesn't sing that much. He might not notice it in latter half of, of Pearl Jam where they, they do a Mankind or something like that. But yeah, I think he needs it just as much as Ed needs it on certain songs as well. That's that's no surprise, but it did sound a little rusty in parts, especially the beginning. And it reminded me a little bit of like them trying to figure it out on the fly in Ottawa. But it finds a good place and, you know, Josh picked it up at the end and really gave this a nice edge to go out on. Yeah, it gets an A for effort. And I, I like Stone giving us the behind-the-scenes info. Of, like, I can just picture them, like, right before they go on, like, in a circle. Like, all right, guys, here's here's Don't Give Me No Lip. Let's run through it real quick. I love that that visual of them trying to, to put it all together. It's just a fun thing, and I wish they'd done both of them. Not not only because I had them both on my fantasy team. Oh, yeah, yeah, you wanted streak points for that. I, look, so just, I was, just let's let Stone sing. Give that a break. Like, he's obviously struggling. Why not do both? Well, it's it's funny because some of the game plan that they have in this show, they bring back in Amsterdam. You know, Stone yeah, for sure. did Mankind in Amsterdam. They yeah. did Eruption, and obviously we don't get Cameron here, but in Amsterdam they did Black Diamond. So it's the same kind of game plan, essentially. But right now... Those seven songs are fine and all, but now we're going to get into the real stuff, the real moments. So it's time. We're going to just let Ed tee it up for you guys. You know, uh, I don't know, maybe four years ago, I'm bringing this up for a reason. About four years ago, something like that, we were induced, inducted uh, into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And, and it was nice and everything, and we're not complaining. We, we appreciated being recognized by our peers. And, um, but but the, the part that was the, the most rewarding was seeing some old friends, seeing some old uh, bandmates, um, some people that we hadn't seen for quite a long time. And in one case, um, we had our friend come up to Seattle, his name, uh, he, he uh, he came out, we only played a couple songs. Um, but when this all went down with Matt the other day, um, we started thinking about uh, all, the other, all the other people that, you know, we, we've been through some great drummers. <laughs> and um, some of the best, and, and we have the best currently. But, you know, that first record seems to be a record that, that um, affected so many people. It's such a nice thing. But uh, our friend that was playing drums at that time, you know, it, it, it just, uh, the amount of shows that he got to play with us was, was fairly limited. Well, it looks like this week we're going to get to make up for that. Ladies and gentlemen, on the drum kit, Mr. Dave Cruzen.
right from the entry into once you witness how just smooth he is and how nonchalant he is about what he's doing and going back to some points before the other three drummers just have like a tendency of being their own personality and bringing their drummer personality in here and you know right away from cruising it's just like he's going back to the original groove he is doing more with less and he's letting the whole entire band shine on this and i think you know for my money especially in the last 10 years that's one of the best one solos from mike i've I've heard in a long time incredible yeah, well, we, we've seen that before when ed is struggling mike will take over and be like guys this is this is going to be my show now add that to everything that's happening with cameron and, and cruising being there i think yeah mike is going to step up and be the star of the show that's even like kind of going into sort of cruising's role in this too that yep. cruising's kind of setting the moment for mike to just be the star and i'm not saying that the other drummers wouldn't do that especially he, he's the point guard yeah he's, he's right. just not assist. right yeah i mean i'm just so impressed by listening to all this and again like it's it's so tough with all the sample sizes that we have and especially since none of them are official bootleg quality stuff that you don't really get to feel what kind of drummer he's like live but this is phenomenal i had such a fun time listening to them in a couple of years, we're going to get desperate. We're going to have to do a whole year of Candlebox live show reviews to really dig into his style. But I um, really think that we're going to get that desperate <laughs> with about a thousand and five hundred more shows to do. I know. I just wanted to, wanted to throw that. No, but um, I thought like the performance, I think he was definitely nervous. And like you see, there's a moment too. He gives a big smile and like you see like, OK, he's settling in. But like this guy hasn't played with them in five years for that was just one song he hasn't been in front of a crowd like this the rock and hall of fame was definitely a more kind of upscale sit down black tie crowd but the thing that stuck out to me is i think ed's definitely feeling 1991 he does the you know it could happen to me it could happen to you it could happen to me that he was known for doing back then so yeah this is kind of like of all the struggle and the, the survival of the first part of the set, everybody here gets to kind of take a breath and have this big moment of this triumphant return of this guy. And like you heard Ed talk about it, like, oh, we, he never really got a chance to enjoy the success. Like this is kind of his moment. And it's just the most perfect thing that they could have done in this situation to bring him back and let him have this moment and have it be special for this crowd when, when this show could have been an unmitigated disaster. Yeah, from the first seven songs, if if they had to yeah. continue on that route, then it was going to be really tough. But from and and legitimately, this is the first thing I thought about when Cruisin' takes the stage. It takes like a couple of songs. I think by Black, it's it's just in full normalcy. Yeah. yeah. But Eddie is like Charlie Bucket's grandpa. <laughs> yeah, he looks almost sixty at this point. Like, I mean, it's probably being sick is a big part of it. He looks frail and old at the show. It's kind of sad. 
But it is funny because once cruising comes in, it's like Charlie coming home with the golden ticket mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. grandpa jumps right out of bed. Like, okay, where'd that come from? You've been sick for 20 years or whatever, but you know, now he's just like, okay, yeah, I'm yeah. suddenly kind of better. You kind of mentioned before that Ed is doing a little bit of the things that he does, you know, in 1991, 1992. One of the things that I notice right off the bat and why go is that like Matt, usually with this, this is like a power song for Matt where Matt comes in. It's one of those moments that right away, like the intention of it is to get your crowd to move and pump their fist and sing like right away, chanting right away. And when Dave comes in for Why Go, it's more subtle. It's more kind of contained. And it allows for you to actually hear Jeff on this. And then it kind of brings everybody in piece by piece and develops before it gets to Ed. I was just very impressed by the space that he was able to give it and he lets it evolve and kind of progress into the verse rather than just like beat you over the head with it and turn the crowd into like this sweat inducing real workout kind of aerobic sort of song and it still works out that way see that's funny because you hear it that way is like him giving it space and letting the other band members have their moment for me i i thought he was keeping it very simple on this this is still the second song. Part of this is him just trying not to fuck up. I think there's a part he finally in the solo, I think lets go and does like a little fill, like a little flourish of something. Up until I think, like you mentioned, Black is the part where he kind of relaxes and kind of, oh, okay, I feel a little more comfortable now. I think he's still got a little bit of that deer in the headlights look like, I'm really here, this is really happening. I need to make sure I get through these okay. If you just kind of, take a minute and just listen to the whole thing and you're you're brought back to 10 you're brought back to the original record so many of you turned this record on when you were 13 14 years old and heard this version and whether or not there were nerves you should say to yourself it almost deserved to have nerves because it was that special you're creating this moment you're bringing him in for that specific reason And if you're not going to tap into what he did originally, then are the songs going to hit as well? You know? Oh, yeah. If he he had come out and tried to do what Cameron does, it wouldn't have worked. Yeah, he's he's, he's got to be himself. Yeah. All right. Even Flow, Garden, then Black is going to follow that. Ed's a bit more energetic and he's a bit more loosened up in Even Flow. And I think he's having a lot of fun with the crowd. And they just become the backing choir for the choruses in this. And Ed here isn't attempting to push himself as much. He kind of knows. He's like, all right, well, I can't do my job, but I can enjoy everybody else doing theirs right now. He was just kind of embracing that moment and didn't need to be 100% Ed. He just kind of let everybody else do his thing and then said, you guys want to sing in the crowd anyway, so I'm going to play back and let you do it. But 
you know, the last three songs here from, you know, Once Why Go and Even Flow, this is the start of an incredible McCready streak. He is on fire till about when they get to Throw Your Hatred Down. So this is like eight songs or so where Mike McCready is incredible. and he's soloing with his teeth he just looks like he's possessed by a demon in this thing that's the best way to put it he's absolutely playing with his hair on fire i agree i think ed didn't have to sing a single note on this and he probably shouldn't have i think the crowd is more than happy to take all of it but yeah even flow i think is part of it where dave came in and and relaxed a little bit and was able to kind of do things you see him during the solo he's just kind of holding it down doing his thing one of the moments i remember from watching this is like one of the really kind of sweet moments from this whole tour was i think after even flow it kind of goes over and goes up on the drum riser and gives dave a little fist bump like good job man like we were doing it and just that moment between the two of them i thought was really nice and really special the only other thing on even flow that I, I wanted to mention about dave is just that obviously you make comparisons to camera because that's just what you do we've done it the whole entire episode but Cameron usually takes even flow and while Mike is doing his own thing and kind of making a rock star of himself, Matt takes the opportunity to throw in these nasty fills and kind of he becomes the rock star himself and it becomes sort of a tandem in which they do that. But I don't think that Dave even had one fill before he led back into the course. He just let it go. He just let it groove and let Mike, just just like in, in, in once, just let Mike have it. Again, maybe it's nerves, maybe it's just like, I just want to keep the progression, let's listen to everybody else and then get comfortable in a second or two, but he does not even waver from that groove that he puts on. Not once in that song. Yeah. You know, Garden kind of has the same sort of idea, he just doesn't have to do too much to have an impact, but those transitional fills now is the point where you're starting to hear him put a little bit extra on it. And the the fills are starting to really kind of stand out. And I was very impressed. Uh, Again, I think the whole thing, every song that he does and every song that everybody else kind of has his back on, it's just another moment where again, Mike is putting his heart and soul into another very mournful kind of bluesy solo a little bit. And he lets him have it lets them have it on that too and and like that is just not something you see in Pearl Jam at all
in Garden 2, it's definitely more of a slower tempo, so he can kind of relax a little bit and get into more of the groove and do some different things. And I think it's it's going to come to a culmination on the next song that we kind of teased it earlier. But yeah, I, th- I thought Garden was very good coming off of Evenflow. It's interesting too because, you know, they start with once and you're kind of thinking like, oh, are they going to do the whole record? Because like you mentioned, oh, they sound checked a bunch of songs from 10, like Cruisin's here, or are they just going to run through it? But I think the choice of songs from 10 was very well done, too, to kind of give him a couple to warm up on, get to the big moment in Even Flow, and then I think Garden and the next one are very well placed after Even Flow as well. One thing in my mind that I was thinking here was that there's a possibility that what they did could have been a set list that he had played, but it's not because he didn't play one of the songs live at all, and then there's going to be a song when we get to the encore. He had only played that song once. And what they, doing, they weren't doing black a lot then either, yeah. They weren't doing black a lot, yeah. So maybe they only had black, what, twice on the docket? Who knows? Maybe yeah. even once. I didn't even check on that. But again, we don't recognize him for these songs live. And now the fans are starting to get familiar with him. And I think it's just the realization that you're understanding what the history is with this. And even on Garden, he actually is able to go off at the end of the song and make it feel big. And I think that that was a good transition into black being the one this is where ed's gonna say cruising i'm very impressed you know all the versions you know all the endings you invented that shit black is gonna have this sense of comfort and calm ed is once again sharing the big moments with the crowd and the solo is where finally dave and mike get to share it together
black is just beyond human understanding. I mean, it's it's one of the best ones of the whole year, I think. It just encompasses everything. I mean, we, we've talked about how Mike, he can get in that mode where he can take over a show and he will put the rest of the band on his back. And we didn't even mention, too, like the whole time that Kristen is out there, Jeff and Stone are playing with them and coming back and turning around to the drums. Mike is over there a lot. Black, I think, is the one where it kind of all comes together and you kind of like, okay, this is what they were hoping for when they brought Kristen on. Like, this is the big moment and the one that he's going to remember for the rest of his life. There's going to be one later, I think, that's better. But of this part of it, I think it all kind of built up to this. And yeah, Black is one of the absolute highlights. You mentioned Mike before being the demon and he's all over the place here. He's either trying to release or embrace a demon here. And I'm not sure what it is. I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah. But whatever condemned him, it was just fucking impressive. You're right. It's, It's hard to say what that was and put that into words, but fuck, it was very, very good. So we're going to get a little drummer change here. And Ed, thanks Dave for doing his thing for the last five, but ask Mike, do we have any drummer change music? And Mike's going to do the eruption solo. And we're going to get Richard Stuverud out here for the next four, starting up with Animal. definitely a harder hitter on the kit than Krusen is. You know, we talked about at the beginning some songs that you think Krusen would have shined on. Like, I can't see Krusen do an animal at this show. Like, they needed a change of pace. You can tell the difference immediately when animal starts. Like, oh, okay, someone different is playing now. We, we got a basher back there now. So, yeah, definitely more of the rock and roll, like, let loose Seattle style rhythm behind the kit there. But yeah, I thought Stuver did great. Animal, probably not my favorite of the ones that he was on. I think it's going to build to throw your hatred down, I thought was the highlight of this little set. But what did you think of the choice of they're finally going to get a Gigaton song here? For the Gigaton tour, the lone Gigaton song, I guess. But I think that Quick Escape was probably the right move. I I can't remember, but I think he played on Quick Escape in Oakland. I know he played on Animal in Oakland. Yeah. I like the approach that he had on it. I think it was a little bit more of a, like a pounding methodical pace rather than that, which is a little bit more progressive on it. And, you know, again, it's, it's, it slows it down a little bit. It lets the song breathe a little bit. And that might have to do with just the way that Richard's interpreting it or just giving Ed a little bit more room to breathe and kind of play to the level that he's playing at on this night. It definitely opened up for the guitars to sound really good in this and you know while mike is again on the hot streak i even listen to the right ear in this and you're hearing stone is just embracing that very choppy kind of jimmy page type rhythm that gives its song its character this is right from the bat i i always thought that this was very zeppelin influenced and i think right here is a good example of how they can kind of bring that to the table and excel on it I don't know if I'm on board with people who are not Matt Cameron trying to do gigaton songs. Like, it just didn't sound like Quick Escape should sound. I mean, it was such a monster of a song when it came out, and this just felt like it had 
kind of no teeth to it. I know nothing against Stu Rude. He's back there doing his best, but it's just such a Cameron fingerprint on it. It just sounds off hearing anyone else on it. Just kind of took me out of it a little bit. Yeah, that's possible. But how many reps are you going to have with that before you can... Matt's good at it because Matt helped write the thing. Sure. And Stu Rude probably had to learn it in a day. Yep. So, you know, I, I give more credit for that, obviously, but you're not going to say that the original guy can't do his work on this song. It's, it's just, yep. yeah. So, all right, we're going to intro to Throw Your Hatred down here, and this is going to be very, you know, talking about, I think, the Buffalo shooting had happened just before this show, and the way that Ed is describing this whole thing is just like, 10 people, another one in a grocery store, another one. It sounds like he's just like everybody else. He's real fucking sick of hearing about this, you know, and it's because nobody's done anything. Nobody's done anything since the first one. Nobody's done anything since the ninth one. And yeah, some of the laws are stronger now. They did put in a new bill that are stronger laws in place, but we saw this. We saw this as recent as last couple of weeks. Yep. There was another one. The one in Colorado, you know? So that's, I think... I think there's average about one a day now. I'm surprised it's not more, Yeah, to be honest. But he, he says here, because he did mention something about seeing a lot of people of pro-choice in the front. He says he saw a teacher and a nurse. But he says, I think that there's a lot of people that believe to be pro-life, but what if the pro-life people started to become anti-gun? They want to save some lives. There's always that option. And that's getting it to throw your hatred down. I think this song had a great 2022. I yep. think they played it like four or five times, and every version was a banger on this tour. It was, I wouldn't even say that it had like a revitalization or anything, because the song is always very good, but I think that it went through a nice little run here. Not very often, again, four. But this is part of the way that introduced itself back into the set and really gave a moment for Stone to become a force. This wasn't just Stone having a nice little solo, and some of his solos can get like really clean, some of them can get really slow. This is like Stone just with a gritty solo. How often do you get to hear like a gritty solo from Stone that sounds like he's just, he's like playing on like dirt almost? I love this, and I, I totally agree on the year that Throw Your Hatred Down had. The one I think of immediately is Johnny Marr at, at Hyde Park. Sure, that was a, a great version, but mentioned I love Stu Rude on this. He's not Jack Irons, and, and this will forever be a Jack song, but I think this song really, really fits what he does. I think he really spread his wings and like kind of made this song his own. I love listening to Stu Rude play this. I think, like you said, I think they he did it in Oakland, I think, too, one of the nights. Yeah, um, that's when they tagged Ziggy Stardust. Yeah, yeah, absolutely love it.
Purple Rain is going to be next. This is going to be the live debut of Purple Rain. And it kind of questions, have they played it before? Well, you you were there the one time they sort of played it. And it was a tag. Was right it was a, it was it was a, a tag. Yeah. Right. It was just a Ledbetter tag. But yeah, this is the live debut of Purple Rain here. Another cover that kind of dominated 2022 in a way. And in, in, in the same way that you think back to like 2003, Know Your Rights, Fortunate Son, I Believe in Miracles. Like when you think back to those covers, that's the wheelhouse that those songs are in. And they're played in other years and other eras, of course, but you think back to those years. You think to 92, 93 for Sonic Reducer. For 1995, you can think to Let My Love Open the Door. To 2010, you can think of Kick Out the Jams. Cover songs seem to have specific eras and specific years where Pearl Jam kind of gets on a ride of them, and Purple Rain was played, I believe, five times this year. So they really kind of found a nice groove with it, and again, doing this in Amsterdam, same game plan that we talked about before with Eruption and Let Stone Sing a little bit, is that Klinghoffer gets to take the mic and do an absolute classic bit of the song. like he's doing a little bit of karaoke with it but it's fun it's meant to be entertaining it's meant to be fun and then when you get into just accelerated cathartic moment of the song where everybody's doing those oohs and they find a great place with this and this may seem like an obvious choice for Prince but I think this is well within their wheelhouse to continue on yeah, I think Prince, one of the great underrated guitar players of all time. I think McCready really does a great job with this. I think he kind of built on it. There are a few later on in the year that he really lets loose on. But this being the debut, I think this is really just about... Because I, you know, I was not really a Chili Peppers fan. I'd not really followed Klinghoffer's career arc up until this point. But hearing him sing and do the Prince scream here was just... Okay that dude can can scream like that okay that really like kind of takes you back if you if you hadn't heard it before that's what i remember about this is just hearing josh scream and being like oh wow okay he's really going for it 
Yeah, there was one moment that I, I feel like I need to bring up. It kind of sounded like he was just a little bit corny. And he, he sort of stops. He's like, come on, everybody, raise your hand. And then right after that, he's like, hey, that was in the actual song. It's like almost breaking the fourth wall of the song. And I thought that that was a little corny and yeah. something that Ed does every now and again, but not even in a performance like this. It, it's usually like, okay, end of the night, do something kind of silly and alive or Baba O'Reilly or something like that. But that was neither here nor there, but here's a long speech here. It's going to be about pro-choice. It's going to be about how Prince's music, and it's going to be hard for me to also transcribe this to you guys. If you want to know about it, it's out there. But the whole kind of premise about this, and I think it's just sort of waiting for Cruzen to take his moment behind the kid again, is that if they overturn Roe v. Wade, all of these singers like Prince and Engelbert Humperdinck and Lou Rawls and Barry White and even them are going to go broke because women aren't going to want to have sex with men anymore. It's kind of funny at first and then it becomes serious in, in a matter of seconds and says if they overturn Roe, women should just say that's it, not having sex anymore. If you come here, get up all in my business, have a great time with it, but then go do whatever the fuck you want. Am I required by law to raise an ugly ass child? I'm going to have to be stuck with some shitty Jean kid because I spent one night listening to Prince. Are you fucking kidding me? Fuck you, or better yet, don't fuck you. A sexual embargo, ladies, you got the power. That's pretty powerful. And it's stuff that, like, I don't know if other people can think to say that or have, like, the guts to say something like that. That, that, that was pretty impressive. Yeah, just to coin the phrase, sex embargo is worth the price of admission there. That's a, that's one of the great unused band names of all time. Hopefully someone's going to get on that. But, yeah, I mean, he takes it from, like, this lighthearted thing, and then it gets real serious, and then he's making jokes. He's, he's going for the whole range of emotions here. He does it perfectly. Now we're ready. Porch is coming. It's going to close the main set, as it usually did for most of this tour. Cruising is get to show off a little bit of speed here after that break. A song like Porch is a little bit more of an outlet to break from the standard what Cruising was doing before. And during the early portion of Pearl Jam, while they were closing sets with Porch, it didn't really become the kind of jammy presence until like somewhere. I think the first one that they really do that in is the Mural Amphitheater show. That's the first one with Dave A. That kind of happened right when the album was being released. So it wasn't really a time where Cruisin' had that experience of, well, Ed going up on scaffoldings and stuff like that, but even to let Mike go off for, you know, seven to eight minutes long. This is a six-minute version of Ports. It's pretty under-average even in this era as well. But the whole band gets to gather around cruising for this. Ed is walking the length of the stage, connecting with the crowd. And Mike is going off on this as well. And there's a really, really good dip right before the big build to the end. And Cruisin, it feels like he's getting another massive moment to shine here. It's very, very good. Oh, 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 oh,
again, to me, it felt like when it got to the jam, he was a little unsure of what to do. And so he just kind of kept it very straight and very simple. I noticed a lot of him like looking at Stone and being like, okay, what are we doing here? And it, like I said, gets real quiet. And I wonder if that was his way of like, I'm going to add some dynamics to this without going crazy. Yeah, I, I thought there were a few more fills and porch than I expected there to be, but overall, I mean, yeah, he's, he's playing a safe card, I suppose, and that's another what-if that you can talk about, like, what if this was just yeah. sort of a, a warm-up run, and then he comes back in Sacramento, and these are, like, barn burners. And we saw uh, that in Oakland, too, with Stu Rude and, and Josh, yeah. like, the second night was much better. Yep, exactly. You just you need a practice run, and it's going to be legendary no matter how you slice it, but later on, if they had the opportunity, then the legend would have grown. So, yeah, that's going to end out the main set, and we're going to come back with four more 10 and 10 era songs in the encore, but before that, we're going to pause for station identification and talk a little bit about all the things that are going on. If you're listening right now, if you're a patron, that WMA Evolution episode is out. And hopefully you guys have listened to that. If not, thinking about listening to that very soon, it's very good. It tells the whole entire story. And that is our sell for Patreon this week. You can't get a better sell than that. If you want to hear the whole history of not just WA's live history, but just the history of kind of what this song and what political Pearl Jam would become, we talk about all that. So there's a lot of good insight there. There's a lot of good research that we put into it, and we talk about tags. We talk about full versions mainly, and we also talk a little bit about Jay-Z. So if that piques your interest, head on over to patreon.com slash live and four legs. You can pitch in $1 a month, $5 a month, $10 a month, any of the tiers. And it all goes into what we're doing and helps us survive. So thank you for anybody that is a current patron out there. And hopefully you guys will want to listen to WMA. And I'm telling you guys, I say this all the time. If there is anything to join Patreon for, it is the evolution episodes. And they're it's tough to get out, you know, more than a couple of year because they do take up a lot of time to research, but we're getting lucky in December because this isn't the last one. We're getting one more in about a week or two. So, yeah, get excited about all that. The way you can sign up on Patreon is go to patreon.com slash live on four legs, download the Patreon app, and search for live on four legs, or go to live on four legs.com and click the become a patron button. That'll actually take you to patreon.com slash live on four legs. So, you know, Either any way that you slice it, you're going to get to the spot that you need to get to. So I encourage everybody, even if you want to have a little bit of a test run just with WMA, and then I can give you some links. You can go to liveonfourlegs.com and check out the whole entire catalog of the Evolution episodes because it might be a little tough to find on Patreon. But you can do all that, and that is the package that you get from Patreon. You get a lot of exclusive stuff. What else is happening? Live stream for the Setlist Draft is happening on December 18th. And that will kind of be, if, if you were watching last year, what we all did was the, like the Setlist Frenzy Draft. And that was exactly as advertised, wasn't it? It was pretty much utter chaos. Oh, definitely. And it's going to be a similar type thing. And we're still working on a little bit of the rules, but... It'll be live streamed to Facebook 
over the Pearl Jam podcast community and, of course, a couple other Pearl Jam groups out there. But you'll want to join these groups in order to watch it. And, yeah, it's, it's just going to be a lot of fun. And it'll determine our first ever setlist draft champion. At this point that we're speaking, we have three already that have moved on to the finals. We need one more. And you guys are going to vote on that next week. So stay tuned for all of it. And then I want to bring up the holiday party, you guys. We have that on the 15th. It's going to be a Zoom celebration. And, you know, a lot of you joined up on the gift exchange and are a part of that. So we'll be opening up gifts for everybody that joined in. And we're going to be having a couple guests come in. We're going to have a couple musical performances. And really, it's just kind of a hangout. It's a celebration of you guys, especially after looking at the numbers from our Spotify end of year stuff from this year. You guys killed it. You guys killed it. I can't thank you guys enough as to your dedication to the show because, you know, we say it all the time, but you guys are the reason why we continue doing this and seeing those numbers, eye-popping numbers this past week was just, it warmed my heart and I hope it warmed yours, John, because he just, those numbers are not normal. They're not every day for a podcast that just... Yeah, that was was amazing to see. Thanks, everybody. We're not bought by a studio. We don't have a network. We're just doing it ourselves, and we pride ourselves on not selling commercial time or anything like that, and that's because you guys deserve that. And when you do that, I guess you get big numbers, I suppose. So thank you guys for making all that happen. And again, the holiday party is just going to be a celebration for all of it. If you want to come, it's going to be on Zoom. Just get in touch with us. Either send me a message on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, or you can send an email to live on podcast at gmail.com and we'll send you a link for the Zoom. I encourage everybody that's listening to come because we know how rare it is for anybody to just go through their everyday life and have people understand their fandom for this band and and you know went through it for so many years like i just wanted to talk to people about pearl jam i wanted people to understand things that i understood and it was nearly impossible to find anybody that didn't know much more than jeremy and i think that we try to do our best to bring that out of everybody to dig into that ultra nerd fandom you know that's why we kind of picked this niche i guess because there's just a lot to talk about, a lot to learn, and a, a lot that, you know, you guys can embrace. So, you know, we are hopefully that conversation that you wish you'd have with, with your buddy at work. And just, you know, fortunate that we can be in that position and humbled that we can. So the Zoom, I think that's just a culmination of everything. So if you want to join, again, encourage everybody, please do so. We have a really, really good time. It's going to be a lot of fun. And hell, everybody's going to have a chance to tell stories. So if you got some stories to tell, if you want to share with people, feel free. That's what we're all about. All right, back to the rock. We got six more. And, you know, but not not a huge storyline, but these encores in 2022 were not big at all. We did not get an encore too, but I felt like everything was really satisfying this year, no matter what. Not 30 or 32 song sets. And the, the way that they did it for 24, I think, worked out really, really well. I was I was very impressed by that. So Ed's going to start off by saying the coolest part about our job is to get to look out at all the faces in the crowd 
And I don't know if you can predict the statement to be so true. I spent more time in Fresno than any other in the past. And this is going back to what we were saying before about him spending time in Fresno. And he says, Fresno is my new place on the planet Earth. It's my happy place. It's the front doorstep to Yosemite. I had 10 days there that once changed my life. And if it's not Fresno, it's Lemoore. Not to mention it has the best surf in the world. Thanks for propping me up tonight. It means so much. I'll never forget it. And it's going to get into Jeremy. I thought that this one, I don't know. I, I, I didn't have as much on this one as I did the other 10 songs. I think it was fine. And I think it was elevated a little bit. But the point I really want to make here is that this is the one that on record, because we do not have a lot of the set list from 1991. We just don't because it was that long ago and, and they were basically nothing. But on record, there was one and only time that Cruzan had played Jeremy. And that was the debut that happened about a week before his last show with the band. Can you believe that? That's uh, that's tough to think about because you think Jeremy is so kind of part of the band's upbringing that you would just think that Jeremy would be part of the earliest run that Alive and Even Flow and some of those other words. But it was the last one to debut live from 10. Yeah, I think it was probably the last one written as well, like the last one to, to make it on the record. Yeah, that, that's interesting. The thing that stuck out on Jeremy too is that Ed just cannot do the who who part like at the end. He he goes to the microphone and then he kind of second guesses himself and be like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to do this." And he like gives it to the crowd as well. But this is one where he's gone through this whole set. He's not anywhere near 100. percent And I mean, you just tell he's trying to get through the night in one piece, like. He really pulls off a lot on on these last few songs. Yeah, I, I, the performance was fine. I think it was just outshined by the first yeah. six. It's gonna happen. It might be Jeremy fatigue in some spots, but yeah, we got three more of these, so we'll continue to be impressed. But Ed is mentioning here that some of the things that Cruzan is doing, like hitting that snare, kind of brought him back to being in the basement in 1990, 1991, and now he's gonna tell a story that also kind of brings him back to that era as well and it's something that we had never heard before from the origins of deep i remember walking uh well i was staying in the studio so i must have went out oh i I think i had to put uh money in the parking meter and 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 i was walking back and it was a rare kind of sunny day in seattle uh rare especially back then it's it's warming up a bit now, but it, it used to be just so rare to have a nice day. So I looked up and I saw this guy. He had kind of blue cut-off jeans. He had kind of like a scraggly-looking body, but but kind of cool. You know, like a manorexic, but kind of cool. And and he's a little scruffy, and 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 he was about the th- third floor, second or third floor. But he was just sitting on the the open windowsill. And I thought, that guy is just loving life right now. Like a beautiful day, he's got like, you know, it's kind of run down apartment, but he's, he's got the window view, he's got the whole thing. And I looked up and I was, I was thinking, I wonder I could wave to him, but he looks like, I don't know, maybe he might throw a knife at me or something. But, but I'm, and, then, and then I realized there is something in his hand and then it is kind of reflecting some kind of 
the sunlight. And then I realized he was just shooting up in the, in the, on the windowsill. And I thought, well, I, I, I was thinking the day was pretty good anyways, but he was gonna really try to make it peak somehow. And then I got nervous because, you know, I don't know that much about it or didn't certainly then, but you kind of nod out. So is he gonna go this way or that way? And so I kind of like stood by this mailbox acting like I was busy, like what I, what I was, I wasn't gonna catch him or anything, but what was I thinking? I like, like so uh, sure enough, he started to nod and then he, fell back the other way and then disappeared into the apartment. Never to be seen again, but I sing about him often. We had heard a little bit of the story. Some of it I think is in the in the PJ20 book, but not to this level of detail. Deep is one that like had no idea it was that specific and based on a actual person who he sees like shooting up at the thing that sticks out is like oh like he kind of ran over like am i gonna catch this guy he's he's gonna nod off he's gonna fall like and he ended up falling back into the apartment like never to be seen again like it's just a great story i think it's interesting that ed sort of created a character for this guy because he says you know seattle we never get any sunny days there he creates this character for this guy that ah oh, he's just loving life he's sitting out on the windowsill and you know takes yeah. a closer peek and no he's shooting up so <laughs> Everything can't be through rose-colored glasses all the time, but it was a great story and great insight, and I love when a story like that can transition you into the song. You just get excited for it. You get excited for a version like Deep Like This. And I thought this version was really good, too. I think that one of, one of the things, um, you know, just like taking the bridge for Cruz, and I think, you know, there was a moment that Dave A went really, really hard on the surge when he did it. And in this version, Again, it's cruising, just not going overboard, not driving in first gear. He kept it pretty simple on this and kind of kept, I guess, more traditional in a way. There's a cool moment where you see Ed kind of like turning back towards Dave and like kind of sending him some waves. It looked like he was kind of making a, a wave with his hands, like sending him these waves through the air. That was kind of cool. And then the ending, it felt like they were trying to do the kind of descent into chaos, but it's almost like the old guy version of that. We're like, let's not get too crazy because we've got to be home by eight. But I wouldn't say it's chaos, but it gets a little weird and a little kooky at the end. They're definitely trying to do something there. Also, that was a Dave A thing too. Going back, I don't think Cruzen had many versions of Deep where he did stuff like this. And again, that's not one that I think we have too many opportunities to hear him on. But that was a staple of Dave A's in 1992-1993. So I get that. I get that he was a little confused on that. But he finished it off. And now we're going to get into one that he had never played live before at all. It's his debut of playing State 11 Trust. And... You see that Mike comes right up to the riser and he's just like putting the guitar in the forefront, like strumming the chords kind of to show him his his face is like, look at me, look at me in the eyes. And now you come in and kind of gave him a signal that way because you know it must have been forever since he had played it, maybe even forever since he had listened to it. One of the things I thought about this was that there was one thing I kind of wanted the song. It might have been like a little bit of false hope, but... 
there are versions very, very early on in the song, and I think even in the recording too, where you don't get right away into Mike's solo. It's Jeff kind of doing that like sludgy little bass line, and they kind of take a sec. The, the drums build it back up to go into the solo, and it's sort of an extra measure there. And, you know, thinking that this would be closer to an original, that they would do that again, and, you know, I wasn't surprised that they didn't do it, but I was, I was a little bit disappointed. I think that there was an opportunity there where they could have gone in that direction. I think they've completely forgotten how that part goes. I don't know. Maybe. And it's been so long, I think if you even sat down and, like, told them to do it, I think they'd be like, huh, what? It's just gone. They should have gone like way off the deep end and played like the slow, sludgy demo version of it. That would have been crazy too. But the story again is like just on the floor, going off on the solo completely, just losing his mind. say that this is cruising show and this is again a massive massive mic show and yeah. like i said he's just making up for all those moments that ed can't do here the 10 songs especially he's he's the ace of it so yeah cruising sounded great jeff sounded great on this and yeah they, they all work together really well but this is kind of the culmination of everything when you get to this song and yes he played it at the rock and roll hall of fame but it's because it's this important and the way i see it is this out of all the opportunities that dave missed this one song could have just been the one opportunity and it really essentially when you think back on it alive was the first song that they wrote together because it was the first song on the mama song maybe there were a couple others that they played around with and perfected with first but I always have thought of Alive to be Pearl Jam's first song, which is amazing because you almost never say of any other band that your first song can be considered your best song. And seeing how this song really helped propel Pearl Jam to where they would end up going, and seeing how this song has always been the big crowd pleaser, the big party song, it gave them maybe not the most commercial success but i think as a band and as this rock legacy act i think everybody goes back to alive being like another moment sort of like smells like teen spirit that you could say is the kickoff to what grunge was and dave didn't experience any of that so getting alive here i think is the way of saying you deserve to see all this. You deserve to be part of it. You helped invent it, like Ed would say before, and you never got a taste of that glory. You missed it, and you deserve this. Mm-hmm. 
to have his final song of the night to kind of bring everything together. It's just the perfect storm of nostalgia and the big moment and the triumphant return and survival, everything that the song has been about. Yeah, I think this is absolutely fantastic and hands down the the performance of the night and maybe even more. Just getting to watch him on this is just like, man, like that's what it could have been. I mean, that's for all the kind of like nervousness and tentativeness of other songs like Alive is the one where he feels comfortable it's like they've gone through this whole night getting to the end of the show Alive is the big celebration and to have him be there just felt really special and you could tell the whole band really was just savoring every second of this performance being like this might not ever happen again so we need to make sure we are in the moment for this and it's just a transcendent performance I thought bigger than what the actual performance is i think all those things that we both just said are what makes this one of the most important songs of this year one of the most important performances maybe of the past 10 years in pearl jam and i think it's a way for the crowd to take a second and say look at all what we just witnessed and then at this point i can't see a time unless you really dealt with something with another drummer with with cameron again that you could overall it's just something that he deserved to have it's something that he earned and it's something that he unfortunately missed on that scale i I just want to almost know what it was like to be him in that moment because 
all those feelings and you know all those practices and all those live shows where they did that this one just like even flow and just like a couple of others had to have felt real good and they knew that they had something with it you even see i think mike at the end has got his polaroid out just taking pictures he wants to capture this moment too like just super special and it was amazing to watch and amazing to watch again it's a great performance you know i was a little bummed out after this i think that he fully deserved to take a bow i think that he fully deserved to take like one final minute to look at the crowd and and just encapsulate all of that adoration and yeah. I think he he deserved that center stage, and unfortunately, it must have been a time crunch because they had two more left and quickly got Stuart on. There's barely a transition at the end of the live into Baba. Barely anything. I think he comes out. I remember him coming out at the end for the bout, too. I think at the end of the show, he has a... Yeah, but that was a team thing. That was a team thing. I think that he deserved to have his own moment with the Mm. crowd. And I know that they're not really about that, but in this particular instance i think that it warranted that so we got baba and ledbetter with with stuver and back out and now you feel real good i think the band really felt you know some positive energy going because they knew how special the moment was they knew how special it was to their history and kind of all brought back to the early days where they were nothing I think that everybody was just having fun with this. And I think Baba was one of the ones that Stuvard was really keen on playing that he wanted to do. And I'm, yep. I don't know, but I think he was playing it uh, all three shows. I think he played it at all three. And, and it sounded like he was having a blast. It sounded like the whole entire band was having a blast. Really heavy, kind of intense version. And even like the ending, they let Stuvard kind of finish it off because it didn't have that sort of thing where, you know, Mike is sort of strumming with it and kind of going along. It felt like it just kind of had more of a booming presence to go out on, which was very interesting to hear and a nice performance. I remember a moment from this too, watching this. There's a thing where I think Jeff goes up on the drummerizer and, and he and Stuvard kind of lock in together and play together and have a cool little moment during this. Very, very, very good performance. I mean, it's it's going to get overshadowed by the crews and stuff, but Steve Rude has some really great moments in the show as well, and this is one of them. Yeah, he, he absolutely beats the shit out of Bob O'Reilly here, and the ending, like you mentioned, is just killer. I, yeah, this is a great performance. This is a record, I think a world record for Pearl Jam here. Ed is thanking not five, not six, not seven, but nine band members in total. 
I think all of them, like you were saying before, everybody comes out. But it's it's you know it's almost his way of doing like uh, Bruce's intros for the E Street Band. Like now we have over here, but obviously didn't play it up that much. And then Mike grabs the mic and says, you know, how about Ed tonight? And yeah, I think he deserved a little bit of recognition for going out there and doing what he did with absolutely nothing in the tank. There is a moment where you kind of do hear like that first note of indifference and then something changed. I guess then somebody like, yeah, it's very subtle, but I noticed it. And I guess somebody said, no, we're, we're, we're doing lead better. That's why I think he says it's not indifference, but it's close at the end there. So lead better is going to send you home happy. And that would have been cool to see cruising on Ledbetter, to be honest with you. I don't know how involved he was for that song. Probably not right. much, right. maybe, because they did record it when they were in studio, right? That might have been an Abrazee's recording. I don't know. Was it during like a mixing or something like that? Maybe. Because I it thought might, that it could have been. We know they obviously didn't play it live till '93, but. It didn't seem like it. it seemed not a difficult one to do, you know. So, yeah, yeah would have been would have been a nice moment. I like Ed's last words on this one. He just says, "Comes on, and says, oh, I won't forget this one." So yep. you know, like this is one that that was special for them. That's right. Yep, and hopefully it was special for you guys too. So let's pick three moments and rank them here. As much as I love throwing your hatred down, I think I got a full plate of 10 stuff. I'm going to start with once. I thought that the kickoff was really important. You said that there was a little bit of nerves and, and stuff like that. I, I, you know, you notice it, of course, but I think it's just the first note kind of reminding you of what the original sound was. That was the comfort food that you needed to get you into what Cruisin' was going to do in this set. I think that black is going to be my number two. I thought overall was probably the best performance of the show, but alive is number one because of how important it is to the whole landscape of what has happened with this band. I agree. Like any other show, throw your hatred down. Bob O'Reilly would have been on this list, but I have to go with the Christmas stuff. I think even flow number three, black number two, alive number one. Yeah. I'm with you. Yep. Yeah, it's pretty easy. Now, uh, we're going to rate this. I'm going to be totally honest with this rating. When I listened to the first seven songs, I said there's absolutely no way that I can give this the perfect score because I thought that a lot of the first seven just sounded almost next to unlistenable. It felt really clunky. It felt really messy. And, And that's not to say that not understanding the moment. Of course, you understand the moment, but... It is a lot about listenability. And once Cruisin' took the stage, none of that mattered at all. None of that mattered, and that meant that when Stuverud came out, his song sounded terrific. You just can't put the first seven into the equation here at all. This is about honoring history. This is about honoring an original band member. This is about having the rare opportunity to do so. There's no other score I'm giving it a 10. Really? Yep. This is 100% not a 10 show for me. Um, I'm I'm not giving the show a 10 because... The performances were all yeah, I know. Yeah, perfect. I'm giving I it a because it's it's important. 
mm-hmm. to grasp that. Oh yeah, Histo- historically wise, sure it, it's up there. But yeah, I, I just can't. I can't give this one a perfect score. It's just not there. I mean, with all there's definitely important moments. Maybe some of the important moments when everything's all said and done, and we look back at everything. But yeah, I cannot give this a ten. I'm gonna bump it up from what I wanted to give it because of the you know the historical importance and everything. You swayed me a little bit on that. I will give it a nine. Ooh, yeah. you were down in the eights for this, huh? Uh, yeah, I, I really wasn't. Maybe even lower because performance-wise, it's just not something you're gonna go back to really. But. Yeah, I mean, if, if we're just grading on historical importance and the moment, then yeah, it's, it's 100 out of 10, but we can't do that. I got to gotta look at the whole thing. So yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to go nine on this. For me, it was way too important to involve the first seven and say that the first seven add into what this whole entire show is, because it wasn't about that. And it's not even really about Ed being sick after a while you know what i mean you kind of forget it as the show goes on there oh, are moments I where i did not forget this is this is there, a bad there are moments where it's clunky there are moments and it's clunky but yeah. i think like yeah. you're just enjoying the aspect of this is one of the most rare off the wall things that they've ever tried i had to give it its credit it was not an easy decision for me to come up with that maybe the show performance wise was in the eight category but again Ooh, just lower. think it's I just think it's more important than all that. So, but hey, you need a controversial show every once in a while, right? Kind of spice things up. But next week, I don't think there'll be too much controversy. We'll get to our European tour show that we're doing, Frankfurt, Germany. That kind of happened just the tail end of the early part almost right before you got into the Hyde Park shows. And some of the things that were coming out, the first four shows, and especially when Americans are paying attention to European shows, I think they're just like, wow, I'm not going to go out and seek this if it doesn't have something specific in the set that is going to wow me. And I don't disagree. I think there were moments from the first four. I think Emil is a great show, by the way. I think Emil is definitely, you know, like, don't frown upon that at all. I think it's a fantastic show. But Frankfurt was definitely the first where you could say, okay, Pearl Jam is going back to throwing shit at the wall, and it's working. It so, felt like they were hitting their stride Yeah. this one. Yeah. Yep. After that, you know, I think they needed a show like that before getting into Hyde Park. You know, you need a confidence show, and, and this was certainly that with a lot of surprises, a lot of songs we haven't heard in a long time. When doing this and, and watching live streams and tweeting it all, like everything that was announced was just unbelievable one after the other. So can't wait to get into that one. And then we'll get into St. Louis the week after that. But thank you all for listening in. And hopefully you guys are subscribed over on Spotify or Apple. And if you're not, please click it. Just click it and say, I'm subscribed. I can get the updates on this show. And if you are on either of those platforms, feel free to give us a rating. Hopefully a five-star rating. Hopefully we have achieved that. And if you're on Apple, there's a section where you can comment and let the people know what you think about this podcast. If you think highly of it, you want to recommend it to somebody, people are going to look And they're going to see what people are going to say about it. And it's always good to have the positivity thrown in. So if you got something good to say, let the people know. And hopefully we'll keep expanding and growing upon our listenership. All right. 
This one's over. This may be the end. We're here, but not for much longer. And although we may be parting ways, miss you already. Miss you always. So it was not the best show in the world, but it still got a 10 from one of us. Now we head on to the next show next week. I wonder how the Hall of Fame will be looking at the end of the year. Not having Fresno in it, but we'll see you next week. It's like the old days, Mikey. Love you, Fresno. Where are you from? Thanks for this tonight. Thank you. I won't forget this one.